being a school principal might just be the most interrupted job on the planet. Every celebration, classroom party, and great lesson in the school, you're invited. Every difficult conversation with a parent whose child is not behaving or with a teacher who's chronically late to work, you're there too. And every emergency in the building with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in it, it's your emergency. And on top of all that, you are responsible every day for the safety of the world's most precious asset, our children. How do they do it? We're here to find out, here in the principal's office. Well, welcome back, everyone, for the second year of the Principal's Office podcast. This is Jeff Gorski with Leaders Building Leaders, your host. Our organization, Leaders Building Leaders, is all about solving problems, especially among charter schools where money and time are tight and support is hard to find. We work to provide tools through coaching and training and consulting to help schools move closer to accomplishing their goals, whatever they may be. But enough about us. Uh, this week, we get back into a school and interview Dr. Charles Fuller at Envision Science Academy in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Wake Forest, the city, not the university, which is outside Raleigh. Envision is a K-8 school, and I spent most of January and February with Dr. Fuller, who was a longtime teacher and principal in Franklin County, North Carolina. He joined the charter school world in Envision two years ago, when Envision was coming off a rocky first year. Uh, over, the, over the last two years, though, Dr. Fuller has helped the school realize its mission as a STEAM school, incorporating the arts into STEM, and expand by doubling its enrollment. Finally, he just led the charge to move the school mid-year from two temporary facilities into its permanent home, which is quite an undertaking, to say the least. Uh, during our conversation, he talked about the process of leading through change and also gives tips on what to prioritize as your school grows. I want to give a big thank you from me personally to Dr. Fuller and all the Envision staff for welcoming me into their ranks for a couple of months. I definitely learned an awful lot from this school and from this school leader, and I know you will too. So please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Charles Fuller. Well, good morning, Dr. Fuller, and thank you very much for joining me today on the Principal's Office podcast. We are here at Envision Science Academy, which is in uh, the small hamlet of Wake Forest, North Carolina, not where the university is. It is where the city of Wake Forest is. Uh, just northeast of Raleigh, North Carolina. Of the university. However, it is the birthplace of the university, and there still is a seminary school in its place. So this is Envision Science Academy. It is a charter school in its third year of operation. Third year. Um, and Dr. Fuller has been the principal here for two years. Correct. So to start off, Dr. Fuller, you know, you, I, I've had a chance to meet you and learn a lot about this school, of course. And you worked... A full career in Franklin County as a teacher, as an administrator, and a central office. And once you left, it's then that you earned your doctoral degree. So can you start off by talking about what, what drives you to keep on learning and growing? Uh, well, I started that process while I was still in Franklin County. Um, it uh, just, as it worked out, I completed the process uh, while I was with Envision. But... Um, the doctorate degree was a personal goal of mine. Um, it really, I think, grew out of my desire to just see early on as a base thought process before 
you know, terms such as lifelong learner were, you know, were thrown out by everybody uh, just to see if I could achieve that um, level of education uh, from a personal standpoint. And so it had been a goal in the back of my mind for a long time. And um, NC State presented the opportunity to um, where they brought out a cohort um, to actually Southern Vance High School in Vance County and uh, sent out flyers and information to people um, in, in counties right around Vance County and Franklin County is right next door. So uh, it was about 15 minutes from my home to drive to Southern Vance High School where we had all of our coursework, all our classes met. Um, and so I knew that I really wanted to complete that uh, even after I left Franklin County. And also when I retired from Franklin County, I knew that I, I really didn't want to go home and sit on the couch for the rest of my life. I mean, I knew I wanted to continue my educational career, um, both as a student and also, you know, um, ser- serving the, the students and, and the communities in, in uh, North Carolina as an educator. So uh, even before I retired, I was looking for positions, and um, I was blessed to be hired as a principal of Envision Science Academy roughly two weeks after I retired from Franklin <laughs> County Schools. Um, so, but that desire to um, achieve that level and that desire simply to, to be a lifelong learner, even though um, at the time that I thought of that, that wasn't necessarily the, the term that I would have put to it. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a saying that um, I remember back from way back when I was in school going all the way back to what was in junior high school uh, and uh, I played a little football in school and there was a sign on the wall that said uh, when you're green you grow but as soon as you think you're ripe you begin to get rotten and um, that's something that I've never forgotten and looking at it from an educational standpoint if you're going to continue to grow then, then you have to continue to push yourself and, and learn um, as much as you can from anywhere you can. And the, obtaining the doctorate degree was definitely part of that. It's funny you say that because you are actually the second person on this podcast to have, have that same quote impact their life. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Mark Tracy at Kestrel Heights School, when we talked about how do you, when we you know you're successful in your school, that you've achieved something, he said, I, I think the only way you know if you achieve something is if you're willing to continue to grow at it. Right. Uh, that there's no end goal. There's no such thing as every one of your kid learns their maximum amount. It's that you and your the people around you are always driven to do better. Very well thing. said. Uh, very well said. Uh, so in your personal career and definitely you know, as the leader of a school, it is your responsibility to be sure that the, the school continues to grow. Um, and even if um, on every state test, 100% of your students max out on every state test, um, which would be wonderful, by the way, but <laughs> even if that were to happen for five years in a row, you would still have to look for your school to get better because there's something there that you can get better at, mm-hmm. um, no matter whether it's academics, no matter whether it's the social aspect, the, the culture of the school. You know, there, there's so many components to, to a school that um, you know you're never going to hit max 
everywhere. And usually <laughs> you, you're lucky if you hit what you feel is fairly max anywhere. Um, but, but you still have to continue to push and, um, and look for those successes you know, every, in every facet of the school environment. Well, let's talk about Envision a little bit then, because it's my opinion that the best charter schools are mission-based organizations, that they have an approach to education that is unique and different from anything else that's nearby where they're located. So can you, can you tell us what you view as, as that uniqueness about this school? Well, I think the uniqueness of Envision Science Academy is that we focus on a STEAM-based education, the, the science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. But we do that through the lens of project-based learning. And um, I don't think we're the only school in the state by any means that, that either is STEAM or PBL or both, uh, but we are one of the few in this area, particularly a K-8 school, that uses that as its primary focus. Um, so we believe on, in experiential learning. We believe in students getting their hands on things. <clears throat> we believe in, um, in integrating that STEAM curriculum throughout our entire school. So not just in a science classroom or not just in a math classroom, but you know we're doing STEAM projects in ELA. We're doing STEAM projects in social studies, in the math, in the science. Uh, we have STEAM uh, elective courses uh, that try to bring all facets of, of a particular project, for example, integrating all of those areas and others, you know, into one cohesive project. Um, can you talk a little bit, I'm sorry to interrupt, can you talk sure. a little bit about that STEAM elective? I think that's something completely unique to this school, how that, how that is, the vision of that is, and what the impact it is on your school. Um, in our Lower elementary grades are K-3. Uh, they're on part of the rotation as the other electives. So students will have art one day, they'll have music one day, and they'll have STEAM, you know, and, and there are five of those counting physical education and uh, art and music and um, et cetera. So the, the STEAM at that level is really trying to get the students to uh, explore different areas, different topics. Uh, it's somewhat uh, science-based, but not totally science-based. Uh, it involves a lot of technology. It involves aspects of engineering. Um, they do uh, include a lot of art-based uh, STEAM projects where the students get to create, and um, they try to bring in a lot of guest speakers. As And um, the teacher there, Mr. Bill Prentice, uh, is phenomenal, but um, he also has turned his classroom into a makerspace. So when you walk in the door, it intrinsically is a creative space. Uh, he touches on robotics. Uh, he incorporates math and, and tries to help the students to see where math is useful um, as they're, they are just beginning to learn math, that, that math is not just restricted to the math classroom, that reading is not just restri restricted to you know, their, their English classroom or ELA classroom. Um, so it's really just exploring the world in every facet, you know, from, you know, the life sciences to the earth sciences to, you know, the physical sciences and, and all under one roof there. Um, but also in, in really incorporating that technology and, and the art component and making sure that they are fully integrated 
and the students and to break down those notions of uh, I'm only doing this subject when I'm with this teacher. Um, in our fourth and fifth grade and then in our middle school, there is a STEAM elective uh, and it is one of the core classes that the students take. So um, they will obviously take their math and they will take um, science, et cetera, but they will take STEAM and, and they're in there every day. And really, it's the same type of situation, except it's a more intensive approach because the students are attending that class on a daily basis. Um, so particularly in the fourth and fifth grade, they are, are looking at the integration of all of those various subject areas and others that can be drawn in. And again, really trying to be sure that the walls are broken down or maybe not even ever built so that the students do not uh, think in terms of silos uh, where this is ELA and this class is math and, and this is where we go to learn science. Um, and the other teachers have to do that as well. You know, that's why they're integrating STEAM and other components into their English class, into the social studies classroom, into the math classroom. Um, and when the projects, the teachers work collabor collaboratively to develop the projects, um, they are looking to try to be sure that those projects incorporate as many subject areas as possible and that they are components that touch on as many subjects, as many areas, as many experiences as they can possibly give the students. And the STEAM classroom is kind of where everything comes together in many cases. Yeah. I, we were both science teachers so when we were right. teachers. I used to tell my kids, science is everything class. Mm -hmm. uh, that when you're in science, you have to use everything else you've learned if you're going right. to do well. And, and you can do well if you apply, tap into all those different uh, aspects of your learning. Right. The, um, what, talking with the STEAM teachers here, another thing I really like about what they do is that they can work together in collaboration with their teams to compensate for some of the areas or to make up for some of the, the skills that they found that students were lacking in other areas. Correct. For example, uh, if, if a teacher in language arts class wants to use a certain website or they want to uh, use a certain tool, then in STEAM class, they can kind of workshop their way through it, learn how to use it, experiment through it, so that when the classroom teacher wants to then have the students apply that tool to their learning, they've got that skill set already. Exactly. Um, and the projects um, can be done, for example, a social studies teacher can do a project that incorporates a key social studies standard um, but also brings in other facets. But we also have a lot of grade level projects where all of the teachers at that grade level get together, they design a project, and they are uh, carrying out various components of the project in each of the individual classrooms that come together then to form the one big project. But, uh, but they are being graded, if you will, uh, in each of the individual classes as well. So, Dr. Fuller... Do you feel like th that this component of the school, I mean, the sciences in the name of the school, Envision Science Academy, you dedicate extra time to to STEAM? Do you feel like do you feel like that focus is what brings families here to this school? I mean, Wake County has twenty some charter schools, and and most of them are super high quality. Why do you think families choose this school? I think it's the combination of the two. There, there are STEM 
charter schools or and, and STEAM charter schools. Um, but I think it's the combination of the STEAM with the project-based learning that attracts most of our families. Um, they realize, and I'm not saying anything against you know, direct instruction or anything like that. I, I think different students learn different ways, and direct instruction is, is the way that some students really, really learn. Um, but most of our families come here because uh, they realize that that type of instruction doesn't fit their child that their child is much more hands-on, their child needs to be up, needs to be active, needs to be moving around um, on a more frequent basis, uh, and therefore a project-based learning um, environment where students are up and around, they are doing as opposed to sitting and getting, um, really attracts a lot of our families. Um, And, you know, it, it doesn't take even watching the news a few times on a regular basis and you get you know information where a lot of companies are looking for STEM or STEAM um, students to, to be exposed to those areas because that's where the jobs are going to be from all the projections um, so students need to be exposed to those types of things um, our middle school STEAM teacher for example he does a lot with programs like Tinkercad um, our students are uh, exploring with 3D printers and, and creating things using 3D printers. Um, so it's it's a little more technologically focused when they get into the middle school, um, but it's still that well-rounded problem-solving in addition to project-based. You know, we understand they're two different things. Um, you know, the, pro- the project-based learning and the, the problem-based learning are different things but they are intrinsically tied together um, so if you, you know, if you do a project and <laughs> the students aren't trying to solve something or figure something out um, kind of missing the boat there a little bit so uh, we, we try to push and make sure that the, the students are not just making a poster I mean or, or something simple like that but it is it is really that they are trying to solve a problem through doing a project uh, that is centered around STEAM. So yes, short answer is yes. That attracts a lot of our of our parents to bring their students here. Let's change gears just a little bit. So you have led this school and organization through two big transitions. The first when you took over the school after a tumultuous first year in existence, and then the second just last month when you helped this school move into its brand new and final uh, facility. So what's important to you as a leader when leading through big changes? I think when you're leading through big changes and, and both of those situations you described, um, that probably the critical factor was communication. And, and you can say it, communication, 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 you know, um, with parents, with the community, with every stakeholder, with the teachers, with the students, with with board members, um, but just being as as open and as communicative as you possibly could be um, for things that's appropriate to communicate. I mean, for example, personnel decision. Okay, you can't communicate that, but so much, there's a lot of laws in place that says you can't do that. But when it comes to other things, um, you have to be sure that you're letting everybody know what's going on. Um, 
and trying to build that trust. Um, the first year, that that was one of my big undertakings was to try to build trust between the school and the parents. Um, and that goes back to the history of the school, but nevertheless, uh, that that was the biggest challenge. And communication is the biggest way that you can do that. You know, to let everybody know there are no hidden agendas, that uh, you're here to be sure that their child gets the very best education they can possibly get, um, that if they have a concern or an issue that you're going to listen to them and um, not just listen in one ear and, you know, kick them out the door with the other, but uh, that you are truly listening to them and, and trying to hear what they have to say and, if possible, to try to resolve the issue that they're bringing to you. Um, so what, what tools did you lean on, especially, to, to build that trust? I mean, email, person, face-to-face, open-door policy, what you, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes, it was, it was a lot of meetings. It was a lot of, um, of, um, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls. Um, a lot of face-to-face meeting, you know, do you have a minute? Absolutely, come on in. Um, and just talk and, and, and listen and and try to be sure that if, if someone has a question that you're doing your best to answer that question um, to the best of your ability and, and as honestly and as openly as you possibly can. Uh, to not be afraid to say, I don't know. Um, that, that I think... Um, I think people underestimate the power of saying I don't know sometimes because uh, um, it's difficult sometimes to admit that you don't know something um, but it's a whole lot better than you know trying to bluff your way through something that um, is going to end up biting you in the, in the you know in the end so sometimes parents would come in and ask me questions and particularly as in regards to the future of the school and um you know, sometimes the honest answer was, I don't know. We're going to work and we're going to get there. And as soon as as soon as soon we have things a little more settled and we can start working on, you know, down the road a little bit more, as soon as we know, it'll be communicated to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, for the most part, that's what's happened. Um, there were a... Um, uh, there were a lot of fires at the beginning that, that needed to be put out. Um and when you're spending a lot of time putting out fires, it's very hard to plan. Um, but I have a great team as well. And uh, um, everybody working together, the teachers working together, the, uh, our parent groups working together, our board working together, um, uh, the administrative team working together, um, leadership team for the school, the school improvement team. I mean, everybody working together, um, we, we've come a long ways in a little under two years that I've been here. Uh, not only as a as a school working toward the common goal of student achievement, um, but also in terms of having a a um, an organization that's uh, what I consider to be very very functional now and um, very open with the parents and communication. The the only thing that got us through the transition of the move of opening this new facility was was communication um, and our parents were absolutely fantastic we had some unexpected bumps in the road um, but everything as it came to us was communicated out to the parents and they were extremely understanding of um, 
of the alterations in the schedule that we had to make sometimes at the last minute um, for things that we could not have anticipated. And I think uh, if it had not been for that open communication and trust that had been established before that, it would have been real easy to jump on a negative bandwagon. And our our parents never did. Our teachers never did. Our students never did. Um, And and that was just tremendous to see. Um, Every time I sent out a communication that said, I'm sorry, but this is what's happening now, you know, the feedback was, hey, we know you're working as hard as you can, and uh, we appreciate the communication. Yeah, this is a process that is it's common to charter schools, having facilities that, that come in uh, at some point in the life cycle of the school that isn't the beginning, that's unique to charter schools as opposed to traditional public schools. Um, so is there any, you've already given a couple great nuggets right there, but any other guidance or advice that you would give to principals who are, you know, charter school principals who are navigating a similar transition for their school? In terms of going into a new facility? Right. <laughs> um, just, well, the first advice that I would give would be just what I said, you know, really be uh, over-communicate uh, because you, you just you just can't do that enough when it comes to making these types of transitions. Um, the other thing... Uh, I would say, if at all possible, try to make you move in the summer <laughs> as opposed to the middle of the school year. Um, uh, that that would uh, probably keep you from getting quite as many gray hairs or <laughs> or losing your hair or whatever the case may be. Um, and uh, just, just be aware up front that no matter how well you lay out your plans, something's going to change uh, because the construction business is not a finite science. I mean, uh, things happen. Uh, You lay out a timetable and you hit rock. Uh, You lay out a timetable and then a a subcontractor uh, can't bring as many um, persons to the job as you thought or as the contractor thought they could. You know, you lay out your plans and then it rains for three weeks solid or you get snow. that shuts everything down. Um, so there, there's a lot of unexpected things that can that can pop up, and so you have to be really flexible with that timetable, and either be sure you you're giving yourself more than way more than enough time, you know, to get your your move done, or you're um, you're going to be flexible enough that uh, you can make some last minute changes if you have to. Uh, and I would also encourage the, um, I know different charter schools are probably set up different ways, but uh, I was very fortunate in that um, our board, as well as the construction company, uh, they kept me really, really involved in the process. So I was able to attend all the construction meetings and things like that. So I was getting first-hand knowledge as opposed to second- or third-hand knowledge. I was in the discussions. I was... Uh, a part of when when a concern was expressed that this may be a potential problem, you know, then, then I was in on that. And, you know, it just really, um, it was a very inclusive process. And it, it helped me to be informed. And it also helped me to communicate good information out uh, to the parents um, and the community and the teachers uh, so that they felt included 
and they were aware of what was going on. So there were really very few surprises. Um, changes, yes, but very few surprises. That's good. That's good. So, so facility issues are, are one thing that charter schools have that's a different animal altogether than traditional schools. Since you have now in your career seen administration from both angles, uh, traditional and charter, what, what do you feel charter schools have right or wrong um, compared to what was going on in, in Franklin County schools or in traditional schools in, in general? That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really big question. Um, charter schools are doing a lot of good things. Traditional public schools are doing a lot of good things. Um, if I had one piece of advice, I would say for traditional public schools, it's that um, most of what charter schools are doing can be done in a traditional LEA if the traditional LEA is willing to do it. Um, and I know there are some financial limitations. There are some other limitations that, you know, um, traditional LEAs have that charter schools do not have. But there are far more similarities than there are differences. Way, way more similarities than there are differences. Um, there, But there is nothing, for example, to say that a traditional LEA couldn't open an elementary or middle school or even a high school that is STEAM-focused and project-based learning-focused. Nothing, absolutely nothing to prevent that from happening. And it has happened in some LEAs. So, yeah, I don't know if I got to the heart you, of your I mean, you definitely did. The, I mean, the big idea there is not necessarily to tell, I guess maybe I worded it wrong with right, saying right or wrong, but um, maybe what's what's different, like you're saying it's very similar, and that's that's really good information because people think it's so different, and that mm-hmm. you're you can be in one camp or the other, but not both, um, and that's I think nonsense. I think that's nonsense as well. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it has to be an either or, um, and you know I, I've told people I, I've told our board, um, you know there was a time in my career where I was like almost anybody else in a traditional LEA standing on my soapbox railing against charter schools. Mm -hmm. Main reason was I didn't understand anything about charter schools. (laughs) Um, And, you know, when you, when you really take the time to do your research, you know, you understand that charter schools are just, they're, they're organized by people who care about students. They're organized people who, who want to provide the very best education they can for the students that are in their school, and that's the same basic goal that traditional LEAs have. Everybody wants to provide the same, not the same, but but the very best education they possibly can for the students that are in their system, regardless of, of what um, background they have, regardless of any struggles that they may bring to the table, whatever the case may be. You you want to um, to provide the very best education, um, and I, and I know there's some you know, some anti-charter school folks out there that would say, well, you know, what if you provided transportation and and things like that? Well, you know, then if you could, and there are some charter schools out there that do, by the way, uh, but if you could, then, you know, it would help perhaps bring some students in that, you know, otherwise couldn't come. Uh, But not having transportation is just as big of a headache 
<laughs> because when every one of every single one of your students have to um, come to school in, in a car, um, then you have this massive carpool that you have to deal with and the headaches that uh, go along with that. Um, so, you know, people ask me a lot of times, you know, what what's the biggest difference between a traditional LEA and a charter school from the perspective of, of you as a principal. And the biggest thing, in my opinion, is the lack of a central office. Mm-hmm. I think you and I have talked about that right. before. Um, and some people will smile and say, well, isn't that a good thing? <laughs> well, in some ways it can be. Um, but you ask any principal in, in a traditional LEA, uh, and they'll tell you that the teachers may not may not quite understand how much, but a principal can tell you just how much of a buffer that this, this central office provides to a school. Um, there, There is this huge amount of information that comes from, you know, DPI and the State Board of Education, um, laws that, that the General Assembly change, um, seems like every session these days, and this is typically all filtered through the central office before it gets to the school level in a traditional LEA. And a lot of times you have assistant superintendents or you have directors, you have coordinators, et cetera, that filter it even more. So by the time it gets to the school, they have it in these nice little packages that tells the principal, okay, this is what you have to do. We, we've handled the rest. This is what's left for you to do out of this law or this policy change well, perhaps they figure out how they're going to handle uh, some change that has come down from, from DPI or the General Assembly or the State Board, uh, and this is how we're going to do it for our school system. So we've, we've figured this out. We've laid this out either by, you know, central office has done it or we've got a, a, a group of principals that have, have worked on this or other school administrators that have worked on this, and this is how we can handle that. Um, there's no filter when you're at the charter school mm-hmm. level. This deluge of information uh, and, and other way reports that we have to you know, generate and send back to, um, to DPI and the state board, et cetera, the, the, it's not reduced just because we're a single school uh, LEA. Uh, we, we have the same reports to do. We have the same laws we have to follow. Um, and the only filter really is is me um, and my assistant principals. Uh, we, we're the filter, um, so we we catch it all and try to keep as much of it off of our teachers as we possibly can. Um, and that can be a big challenge. Um, uh, you have tons of things that you have to sift through and be sure that you don't miss deadlines that have to be met. Um, and at the same time, you're trying to you're trying to run, you know, your school. You're trying to to provide, be that good instructional leader. You, you know, you still have um, your school based, all the school based activities and things that you have to do are still there, um, but you're taking on the role of what is a whole staff at a traditional LEA to try to work through and sort through. Yeah, and and a lot of schools try and find a way to delegate that across their administration, and some of them 
one person is appointed to that responsibility, but any way you shake it, it's a it's a huge undertaking. Right. Um, for like you said, a single school LEA like right. this one. I think um, um, you know some charter schools have more of a a superintendent type figure, um, and then a principal under them. Um, our current model that's not the case. Um, so I, I don't know if that works a little better or, or it's really no different. I, I, I don't know. Um, but um, either way, all of that work has to be done. Right. And um, so you, you, you do your best to be sure you get all those deadlines on the calendar and try to start the work as soon as you can and, and, um, and, and be sure you're following the laws and the policies and... Um, and you really do heavily depend on on your staff. Yeah. So you've made this big move to the new building. It's beautiful. Uh, I think the design of the building, both inside and out, is representative of of the of the idea of a school that this organization has tried to build. Right. What What is the next big initiative for Envision Science Academy, or where do you go from here? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, but I, I think probably our, our most immediate uh, goal is to fully be in this building. I mean, it is a beautiful facility. Um, it, it has an industrial feel to it, which is what we were going for with, um, with our focus on steam, you know, with concrete floors and some steel beams and things like that. Um, and it's a great location. Uh, but... We're still trying to get our playgrounds equipped. Uh, we're, we're still trying to, to get our athletic fields um, and uh, physical education fields. Um, you know, this, this trees are still on them. <laughs> kind of hard to go out there and play soccer when, right. when it's full of trees on your field. Um, so it, it's so many things like that that we are, we are trying to finish the occupancy of our facility, I, sh- I should say, that that's probably our most immediate concern is to really fully occupy our facility and get all of the various components that we have in the plans for the facility to get those done and, and get everything operating smoothly. Um, we get asked quite often uh, by our parents particularly, uh, are we going to build a high school one day? Um, and whereas that um, is a discussion that a lot of parents ask us, it is not in our immediate future to do that. Um, so I think um, finishing the occupancy of our facility and trying from an internal standpoint to be sure that this move, that, that we are still meeting our academic goals for our students, uh, that at the end of the year our, our students are going to perform as we would hope they would on our end of course and end of grade tests and um, and be sure from a uh, school improvement standpoint that we are meeting the goals that we've set forth in our school improvement plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's getting back to the, the business, if you will, of running the school and providing that, that, uh, that uh, education for our students at good well-rounded, solid education for our students, and they, they are actually growing um, in the classrooms from an academic and social standpoint. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'll look forward to following this school in the coming years and, and seeing what happens moving forward uh, in just you know just three years where this school has gone uh, is I think is remarkable. So well, thank you, and um, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming and speaking with me today, and also wanted to uh, publicly thank you for the time that you spent here helping us uh, uh, the the couple of months that you were here working with us. Um, was a, a huge boost, um, adding a, some some great thoughts and ideas as well as just a physical presence um, when we really needed it the most. Well, so it's my, it's my pleasure. Thank you for saying that. Uh, one final question to end on, Dr. Fuller. Um, if you can think back to yourself as a first-year beginning principal, uh, I believe it was at Franklinton High School. It was. Knowing what you know now... What advice would you give yourself as a first year or beginning principal? Um, to be more scared. No, <laughs> uh, no I, I think um, oftentimes as a first year principal, you are blessed with the uh, notion that uh, there are things that you don't know, but things that you don't know that you don't know. And you are very blessed because if you did know those things, you probably would be scared to death, almost to the point of uh, being paralyzed and not being able to act. Um, but uh, and seriously, I think the um, probably the best advice I would give myself would be to really, from the beginning, learn how to work with a team of people. To realize that, um, yes, at the end of the day, you know, your name is on the dotted line, you know, you're the one responsible, but your team is always willing to help you. And if you cultivate that, um, that team aspect and build those relationships um, with the teachers in your school, with the other leaders in your school, that, um, that your, your day and your year is going to be so much better. And, um, also, your stress level from day to day will be a lot better because when you have good people around you and um, you let them do their job, um, it took me a while to figure that out. You know that um, you know hire good people and then and then let them do their job. Get out of the way and let them do their job. Um, once I figured that out, things went a lot better. So if I had started my career doing that, I think. Uh, that would be the advice that I would give myself. Great. Well, Dr. Fuller, thank you for sharing your your school and your wisdom with us on the Principal's Office podcast. Appreciate thank it you very much. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Principal's Office podcast. Please take a minute and subscribe to the Principal's Office podcast on iTunes or your Google Play store. And if you'd like to hear more about what we do at Leaders Building Leaders, go ahead and find our website. It's leaders-building-leaders.com. Or if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is jeff, G-E-O-F-F, at leaders-building-leaders.com. I look forward to hearing from you and look for the next episode of the Principal's Office podcast in May. Thank you so much for listening.